Hello. How are you? I'm good. Can you, can you hear me now? Oh, I, you you sound fine. You, <laughs> you sound great. Why, Don, why did, oh, let, let me just uh, step through the last 45 seconds of my life. I, I installed Call Recorder, I think, just six times. It said, install Call Recorder. I clicked, yep, I'd like to do that because li- I'd like to have Call Recorder available to record this call. <laughs> it's right in the name. And, uh, and it said, yeah, hey, you need a new version of Skype to do that. So I said, okay, update Skype. Then I clicked the install call recorder again. And it told me, um, w- would you like to do this? Would you like to install it? It's like, yes, that's why I clicked the button and install it. Um, and it said again, and this this is going to sound, I would say, redundant. It said, oh, hey, uh, we'd love to in- install call recorder. You need a new version of Skype. Would you like to install that now? I, uh, yes. Yes, I would. Um, and and that, that happened. There were three iterations of that, Don, in 45 huh. seconds. Huh. So I, I can confirm, A, a um, that you and I are, are currently speaking on Skype. So that's installed. And two, you know, because A and then it goes to two. The, the call recorder is installed and is working. I, I see I see a numbers that are going up, meaning uh, one minute and 18 seconds now of, of you and me talking and recording. Uh, the input is going up, and then when you talk, the output goes up. So I, it, it appears to be working, but I, I had to install it three times, and uh, I don't know why. It seems well, it seems bizarre. Well, it could be. It could be could be more complicated if you had a new microphone. Oh, you have a new microphone. I could tell. I, Can, does it does it sound better? It sounds so. I, I would say it sounds different. It sounds like you are a little further away. I think you need to be closer huh. to it. Okay. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to. Oh, it sounds really on. good right there. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got a new microphone. Um, I've got a new microphone on order. Uh, as uh, uh, ProView Jim says, uh, don't f it up. Uh, and we and we're going to do our best not to f it up. Yeah, and so this this new microphone is is interesting. Um, there is a uh, a volume. I, so the 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 my trusty Rode Podcaster. It's here's a little foldy for you right there. Yep. Um, has a nice a nice volume knob that you can turn up and down, and when you turn it up and down, the uh, the headphone volume uh, goes up if your headphones are hooked into it. The uh, much less nice named ATR two five zero zero X dash USB. Uh, has a similar place you can plug your headphones into and uh, uh, not a knob, but a up and down buttons to control the volume. Um, as a, the technical term is, I don't think they're hooked to anything. <laughs> the buttons, the buttons are unhooked from the, they don't seem to do anything. But if I go into system preferences um, and I uh, play with the audio there, I can get it so that it doesn't sound like you're shouting in my ears, oh. which is a much more relaxing way to record a podcast. <laughs> which you would like me to, if, if you're doing that on your end, would, does that mean you'd like me to modulate my voice a little more? Should I, should I talk a little No, more? you speak at, you speak at a comfortable voice okay. and I'll control the, the audio here. Um, and if I'm too soft down there, I don't know what to tell you. No, um, you, except maybe you can fix that in post. Yeah, I don't know. I'm leaving if I'm too soft down there for a show title. Yeah. Uh, what she said. Yeah. Ooh, uh, three minutes in, Skype, Skype, <laughs> call recorder. Uh, that's what she said. I that's think we're, said, that's no. a show. See you, folks. Um, uh, so, so we've got. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you got a new microphone. Uh, I can't get call the recorder to work. Well, it appears to be working. Um, we got we got some feedback. I I gotta tell you something though before we get into this. Um, 
we, I, I, I may not have shared with you. I, I went away. It's OPSEC. So no one can break into my house now because it, it happened in the past, but I was not here this weekend at my, at my home at this past weekend, this past weekend at, uh, you know, whatever the three words, you know, rodent, um, uh, uh, basil and, uh, uh oak tree. Perfect Newton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever the three, I just, <laughs> I just put like three words that will put somebody like in the middle of Germany or something. Um, so, uh, we we went to the we went to the mountains uh, of North Carolina where where there's um, cool cabins and lots of mountain biking and cool breweries and stuff and then we came home and uh, came home to a massive limb uh, hanging from one Ooh. of our trees in the back in the backyard and I'm I'm oh talking like twenty feet long like and it was it hanging I, if you were. If you, neither of us are um, structural engineers, um, and which is the 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 job title that I would think for someone to know the question I'm going to ask, which is how many stories? Like if I was sitting on the second story of my home, like I am currently, and looking out the window, how up? How far up in the air do you think that is? Like, is that twenty feet? Is it twenty? Wait, so sorry, I wasn't paying attention because I was looking. I was looking for what what three words uh, I'm at at my new address. Oh, which, perfect. And they're, they're pretty. They're pretty cool. I will. I will text them to you. But I'm sorry. Could you just say that sure. again? So, so if you're if say you're in the second story of your home, okay, and and your eye level, you're standing. You're standing at a window. Uh huh. How high up would your eyes be? Would that be like twenty oh. feet up? Would you say? All right. Well, so if I was standing on the ground, my eyes would be, you know, whatever the top of my head down to my right. eyes, you know, six foot minus that amount feet up. Um, <laughs> I would say, I don't know, 20 feet. Yeah, okay, good. Sounds about right. All right. So so let's add another 10 feet to that. That's how far up this this limb was hanging and it had snapped and it was touching the ground. So I, So it's 30 feet long. Okay. Average. And I tell you this because you and I, in a previous episode of food safety talk, we talked, this sticks with me. I, Cause I think I've told you multiple times that, um, the lovely Danielle puts me up on ladders to cut trees down, right? Like with chainsaws. And, I, well, we've and, talked about this. You yes. might want to see if, you know, I'm just saying, pay attention. If, if the life insurance policy <laughs> changes significantly, right? Well, she's a crafty one. <laughs> she is. And, and, but, and this is like, there's a joke to it, but also there's this, like you, you kind of, you gave me a tragic story. Like you had a colleague who, who died from coming oh, down wood. Oh, absolutely. Trees. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. He, I mean, this was a, he did this, I wouldn't say professionally, let's say semi-professionally, he knew what he was doing and sometimes they go the wrong direction. And yeah, it was really, it was really quite, quite tragic. Well, and so I think I, I appreciate that you shared that with me because I do think about it. And and from our other podcast, Risky or Not, <laughs> listeners of the show might know that I'm quite risk averse uh, compared to Dawn. Um, and I, I do, I think about this. So, so I'm, I'm in, we have, we have a tree house that is, uh, I, I would say the floor of it is about 10 feet up. And, um, the, tr- the limb that came, that came down, that snapped was in the, from the tree that the treehouse is in. And so I, um, it, it, I, I was trying to pull it down and I couldn't, and it was like all holding on, um, by, by the, you know, the bark and the sinewy part of the, the tree. That's, you know, I, I, I do have a degree in plant agriculture and I'm sure there's a much better way to describe this. Um, so, so anyway, I, I spent uh, a little bit of time this week 
up in a ladder in a treehouse with a chainsaw with actually a, um, a, a saw that has an extended arm to try to cut this limb down. And I couldn't. So then I put a rope around it and, and I spun it like a, um, <laughs> like a pendulum and, and it's almost like a loose tooth with a child where yeah, you yeah. just keep spinning it. It, you, you know, tie the, tie the thing around the tooth and pick the kid up I, and whip him around your head. Yeah. So, so the I, tooth comes out. I did that, um, from multiple angles in my backyard. And then, uh, finally this thing popped up and, and put, it was in a it's, it it was in a very delicate position in our backyard between this treehouse and our deck, and it flew like pop backwards towards the treehouse. And I have now created an extra uh, window in the treehouse, but the limb is down <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't. No, no, it was not on purpose. It was, and as I explained this to Danny. It's just the casualty of having to pull down a 30 foot limb. This is what happens. Uh, and just, you know, everyone's happy that I didn't destroy the first of all, that I didn't die. Secondly, that I didn't destroy the deck. Uh, but now we have um, I, I have a, a, an overwhelming amount of wood in my backyard that I now have to cut up with the chainsaw, um, not on a, on a ladder. But that has been the focus of my week this week is this like. I'm sure you know, it, it, this, there two things are going on in this situation. It, it is probably a better idea to get a professional to do what I did. Yes. Also, I'm and. cheap. <laughs> 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 and I'd look at it and I think I should be able to do this. I should be able to pull this down. And now I've been rewarded by saving the money to get a professional to do this. And I pulled and I pulled it down. Um, and, and I, I, so, but, but now I look at what's, what's left and, and I have, I, I would estimate, um, three or four hours worth of chainsawing and moving wood back to where we, we have a fire pit in our backyard to deal with this, to deal with this limb. Um, but that's like, that's been my week. Like this, this tree has taken over my life. Like the tree, the tree is my new, is my new master. Uh, <laughs> Like I, it's all I have right now. And, and, and it's because there, my, my, I don't know, idiosyncrasies might not be the right word. Maybe neuroses is a better term for this, but I, over the last like month, the, my, my master has been, um, two, uh, two places on my Apple news feed that, uh, well, through cult of Mac and nine to five Mac, because I wanted to know when the new Mac announcements were being made and what was coming out and, and what the leakers were saying. So I could think about the things that I wanted to buy that has passed, right? Like that happened a week and a half ago. And now the tree is my new master. Um, and that's, I don't, I don't know what else, like it's, it's very, it, the, I, I, I get obsessed about certain things and this tree hanging from like, I was worried that the dog would go out there. And if I didn't get it down, that, that the, you know, magically this limb would just fall and kill my dog. And then there's kid you know, my kids are playing in the backyard. They would get, they would get crushed by this. So now I have that I, it's down, but I, I, I still need to cut it all up. And, and I, I don't know. That's, that's what I focus on. I, I needed you. You act as my therapist a lot. I know you like, <laughs> you kind of know that. And I may not be really overt about it. Uh, every once in a while you say things like, Oh, maybe you should get an actual therapist. Uh, <laughs> 
But again, well, but, you know, I'm it's, cheap. It's, uh, it's well, and yeah, <laughs> see, see earlier in the show. See exactly, well, and and it's it's good. It's good to have like a public space where you can you can talk about your problems. My tree, my um, tree problem. But uh, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and I, you know, here's the thing, Ben. I think what you need more than a therapist is you need. Um, more, uh, more consulting jobs because I would, I mean, I admittedly, I love the idea of like doing stuff at the place where I used to live. I built a, not a terribly tall stone wall, but I built a stone wall that replaced a, I think it re- replaced a pre-existing wall. I took a week vacation essentially back when we first bought the house and I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to excavate. I'm going to level, uh, I'm going to use some mortar in between to stick it all together. And I built a, a, an okay wall that was still not level and straight. But, you know, every time I looked at it, I had to look a little bit of pride. But what I would rather have had was um, somebody build it professionally and me. And this again, this is at back. This is, you know, 20, 20 years ago, I didn't have the consulting opportunities that I have now. Right. And so I would much rather sit in my air conditioned office and think hard about a, a right. modeling problem. Um, and, and for a couple of hours and then have somebody else come and let's say, for example, uh, clean my gutters. I, I had, I finally, uh, we, we needed to get the gutters cleaned here at the new house and I didn't know how to do that. I knew for sure. I didn't want to use the gutter cleaning business we had at the old house because they're always upselling you and they always want to charge you more than you need. And I just wanted somebody to come and clean my gutters. And and if I wanted to have them come back later, I could, but I didn't want to opt into any kind of long-term contract. And I found a company and the guy came out and he did a really nice job. He took pictures before and after he sent them to me. I paid them with Venmo. I felt very, I felt very, you know, uh, in the, in the new, the new internet age of, uh, gutter cleaning. And I didn't have to get on a ladder, which the older I get, the less uh, inclined I am to do. Um, you know, especially when I can sit in my air conditioned office with little, little risk of hurting myself. I mean, there's some, there's some risk I could fall off my treadmill. My stupid dog could, you know, trip me, uh, <laughs> and she's trying to hide under my legs as I'm standing <laughs> on my treadmill while it's not moving. Um, I could electrocute myself, plugging in my new microphone. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen yeah. in my office, but I think it's less risky than being on a ladder outside. I, I, I agreed. And I want to point out when you said that your dog could trip you, you could fall off your uh, treadmill. Only one of those things have actually happened that, that has resulted in surgery. Uh, uh, well, yes. Yeah, so, well, and the, and the dog I was talking about in this case was the lovely Bianca who, who is, uh, just likes to get between my legs when I'm, uh, standing on the treadmill and not walking, uh, as opposed to Gibbs who mostly just sleeps in his bed and looks up if I get off the treadmill. Cause it might mean he's getting the walk or something. So, yeah. And I have, I have, um, have I fallen off the, I think I might've fallen off the treadmill <laughs> once or twice, but not, not enough to put me in the hospital. Not like the, the, uh, when, when Gibbs pulled me into the road. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, tree, trees down. I'm, I'm with you. I, 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 I go back and forth. Like there are certain things and Danny and I both do this where, where it's like, you know, you look at something and you're like, I think we could do this. And if we do it ourselves, there, there's going to be this feeling of, Hey, look, we did that thing, right? Like we completed that and we'll, we'll save a little money, which we can put into really my money goes towards, um, like food and <laughs> like, and, and alcohol experiences. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so, but I want to save that so I can do more of that. And hockey. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but all somewhat related to, to that. 
Uh, and so, but there's like, you know, so, certain things we, we, you know, not at our new house here that we've lived in now for four years. Oh, no, no, no. I think, I think you're wrong about that. I can't be that long. I, I can't be. Um, and how old are your kids? That's not right. Either. Whoa. Tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> at this, at this house, it's a little, we have, we like, we're, we're on this corner lot. There's lots of trees. It's a little bit overwhelming just keeping up with the upkeep and, and we yeah. constantly go back and forth on. Ah, we can we do it? Can we not? And we we're we're you know we're fighting the fight here. We're we're struggling, not struggling, but we we push we we push. We we're weekend warriors in the backyard. Well, as uh, I as I was as I was thinking as I was uh, because you know the the two most important things that you should do before you record a podcast is make sure there's a lot of noise outside your yes. house and also install update your operating system. So as I was waiting for my Mac OS to update and listening to the lawn crew outside, it occurred to me, do you cut your own grass? I or do. Do you have, do you even have grass at this? Uh, we, yeah. At this, at this new this, house, uh, <laughs> the new house of mine, this house. Yeah. Says, I, you got chickens, you got trees. We got chickens, we got grass. trees, we got grass. It, I mean, it's almost, we're, I mean, Don, we're, we're pretty much farmers. I, we've got, we've, we've got three chickens and, and so, let's call it sod. Let's call it what it is. We, I, I will cut the sod that will never be sold. Yeah, you have, you have a car up on blocks though. That's, I, the, that's the most. Not, not yet, but we do have an extended, yeah, an extended driveway that is gravel that the previous owner had a boat or a couple of boats uh-huh. like in there. And that would be, if we were going to put, put a car up on blocks, that's where I would put it. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it, but I, I, so like the, the gutters is a really good example of something that we don't do. And for, you know, we've, we found a, a, a person in, in the neighborhood who, uh, does this. He's a, he's a fireman, uh, and oh, a fire perfect. person. Yeah. And, that means he's good with, he's good with two things that you need for gutter cleaning. He's good with ladders and he's good with water. Exactly. And, and so he, he goes around and, and cleans the gutters for, for folks, including us. And that's like, oh, perfect. That, that is a money, money well spent. Me then, then of course me being up in a tree with a chainsaw, um, or on a ladder, uh, thinking over and over again, this is, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, if, if I fall correctly, maybe I won't cut my arm off. Uh, yeah, th- that's maybe not money. Maybe it's money that I should invest. But then I look at it and I was like, you know what? I did it. I got it down. We, we tied a tree or tied a, a rope to it. Everything was, everything's good. So, so anyway, um, uh, tree, yeah, tree, tree is down or tree limb is down. Um, and, and I, I say this because it is in my podcasting room, my office here, my, it, it, I'm looking at where the limb used to be and mm-hmm. it, and it's a very, it, um, maybe that's an existential, uh, 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 phrase, but it, I, I could tell that there's something missing there and I know what it is and I was part of bringing it down. Well, so, so just, um, just a little bit of tree, little bit more of tree safety talk before we move on. Um, we have a large oak tree in our backyard, uh, which actually we've discovered now actually is the reason why we have such nice shade in part of the backyard. Um, but should that come down in the middle of the night, mm. um, it could come down and literally crush probably only one of us in the bed. Um, uh, it might, it might fall, you know, to one side or the other, but, uh, probably won't kill both of us, but, but one one of us could die from the tree if it chooses to fall down in the middle of the night. So anyway, that's a, that's a comforting thought, but I don't want to cut it down because it gives us such nice shade and it doesn't, it doesn't show any signs of wanting to come down or needing to come down. So, well, and, but uh, you, you bring up, very good points. These are the things, and and maybe this is why this explains why you and I do what we do. Like you're you're making 
a risk calculation, right? Like right. What, it's a risk reward. Yeah. What's the chance that this tree is coming down? Probably little. What's the consequence? Death. Right. Like, <laughs> so if we, what's, what's the benefit? Shade. Shade. Yeah. Hunt, shade most of the year when we need shade. Right. Yep. Like yeah. that's, you're getting that benefit right now. Whereas I, the death, that's a theoretical future. This is going to be, this is going to be much less funny if this actually happens. Oh, well, it'll be, we'll, we'll point back to it and, and say this <laughs> well, is where somebody will. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably it'd be more likely me at this point if you're the dead oh. one. Well, <laughs> but I'm not the one out, uh, Pulling oh. down 30, 30 foot limbs either. So, true, uh, true. Uh, but it, I, I, I don't know. Like people, uh, this, this. I want to, I want to talk about COVID stuff a little bit because yeah. one of the one of the things that I am increasingly realizing, and this again might be one of those really obvious things that that people have have re, have already thought about. This is not a revolutionary idea. But if, if I think about like public health and vaccine, vaccine hesitancy and the politici- politicization of, of this whole pandemic, one of the things that, that jumps up over and over again is that – this will sound – I don't know. Hopefully this doesn't sound like elitist or, or whatever. I know a little bit about how viruses work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I know about transmission. I know about risk. Of them, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time yeah. on norovirus, and over the last year, you and I have spent a lot of time on um, SARS-CoV-2. And I think that the 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 more I see rhetoric about stuff like, "Hey, I got one shot, so that's good enough," or um, you know, the the I'm the risk of the uh, of whatever might come of me getting a vaccine is uh, more than the risk of me getting COVID. So I'm just not going to get a vaccine, all, all that yeah, kind well, of stuff. You, did you know, Ben, it's experimental it's and ex- it hasn't been approved by the FDA. Right, right. It's it's all, it's all of that, all of that. Right. I, I like, I really think that if the, the and, and there are a few people who I know on the social media, on Twitter or um, Facebook, who I, I know either just because we, you know, our, our kids are the same age or there's, they're in the hockey community, whatever. I don't think if I had a conversation with them, they would be able to explain why, like how this all works. Right. And right. Right. Well, and, and, and to be honest, like neither of us can explain exactly right. how it works. Right. We have a deeper understanding than the average person. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and like, so a, a good, a, a, like a good example for me on this is thinking about like a bunch of people getting together for an indoor party. Right. And, and with, with, with kids, like we're, we're at that stage right now where I think there's a lot of, a lot of folks in my circle are so much more comfortable because, you know, all the adults have, uh, are, are fully vaccinated or, where they're not, but they don't care, right? Like they're, they're not, they're never going to get vaccinated because this is, it's all a sham. And, um, it, but, but people are, are more relaxed about, you know, everybody get together. And, and I think about the intermixing of all the kids and that that's how variants happen or could happen. Not, not, not will happen. And we'll never know, right? Like, like the more of those events that occur, over the course of the you know the next months and years, the more chance that a variant is 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 born out of transmission with uh, in those in those circles that leads to 
bigger problems for the population later. And that conversation, it's really hard to explain that, but it's, it's like, I, I think that to, to folks who are not as close to it as, as you and I are, but, but I think the, it all plays into what, what you and I kind of do all the time, which is let's think about risks. Let's think about like, it's none of these things are a hundred percent. It's all about probability. And what's the chance that this is going to happen. And the more like, it, uh, it, I, I, as I was, uh, uh, let me, let me try and land the plane here and give you the perfect example. <laughs> um, so my, my father-in-law who is an essential worker from Canada, cause he transports boats, uh, to a Marina. He's, he visited us yesterday because boats are essential. Boats are essential. One thing we've learned during this last year, boats are essential. <laughs> boats are essential. They, they, some people take them to work on some people transport goods in them. I'm not going to argue with this, but we're watching, uh, an, an NHL hockey game. And, uh, on the, on the television and, and there, there are some fans in the stands. It's an, in, it's indoors. Um, and, and, and even though in the, in it, it is existing in a state where there's no like capacity restrictions, there are less fans in the lower bowl, like close to the, close to the players because the NHL has limited the number of people that are in that closer space to where players are. And, and so we had this discussion about, the more like it's, it's not a one-off kind of situation. It's not a snapshot of if, if you have, you know, there's no threshold that's magic, right? Like if you, if you have 10% capacity in the lower bowl versus 12% capacity, then all of a sudden 12%, you're going to get a COVID um, cluster. But the more people you have in that lower bowl, the more chances you have, like every one of them is, is increasing a probability. And, and we don't know all the aspects of, you know, we know that it's cold in there and we know that there's airflow and it's inside, like all of those, those factors. So just like having that conversation with my father-in-law of like, it, it, from the NHL standpoint, it's, 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 it's better to have people way up top away from their players. Like it's better risk management than it is to have people close by. But we, we look at the entire building as, as a whole from a capacity standpoint, but it's not as, I don't know, it's not as simple as that. Every one of those people is, is increasing the risk if it's a significant increase, I don't think we know it's it, but it, but it's, you know, it's likely measurable and, and it, but it, it, I don't know, it all comes down to the same stuff that you and I talk about in, in food safety. Like there's none of this, none of these things are, are absolutes. And it's why I really appreciate, and this is one of your, like, I, I think terms that, that I've, uh, or, or pet peeve terms, like just infectious dose. It's, it's not, it's not a real term. It's about mean infectious dose. It's not minimum because minimum is always one because there's always right. a risk of that. It's always a right, chance. Right. And, yeah. it's, and it's, it's, it's all, it's all probability. Yes. Right? I mean, I was thinking today as I was preparing my coffee, um, my second cup of coffee for this podcast, um, like what if, what if the vaccine um, turns us all into zombies. I mean, yeah. this is an actual real thought that I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the way. That's the way a zombie uh, show starts. Now, I think the chance that the, the vaccine turns us into zombies is pretty low. But what if? What if there? I mean, seriously, here for a minute. What if there is some long-term consequence of this experimental, not FDA-approved vaccine? That's been given emergency use and the Pfizer apparently we're going to be given to kids yep. before very long. What if there is some long term consequence? Well, like that's a that's a thing that we're taking on um, versus 
What's the long-term consequence of just quote unquote, as I think some lawmakers said, letting it rip, right? Like that's going to have, for sure, that's going to have consequences as well. And so, uh, and I thought about it and and I'm I'm specifically thinking about it and you know this, but, and the listeners may or may not know this. So yesterday was my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And so I'm thinking, of course, I'm thinking sort of humorously about turning into a zombie, but I'm also thinking was it really a good idea to schedule a podcast for today? Because it's going to be 24 hours in a few hours. It's going to be 24 hours from when I got my second dose. And I'm, and I'm, of course, because I'm a little bit, I don't want to say I'm a hypochondriac, but I'm somebody who thinks about stuff like this. I'm like, well, Hmm, how am I feeling? Hmm. Am I feeling a little bit hot? Maybe it's just because I'm, uh, I was just exercising, uh, and, and maybe I should just take my, uh, my fleece off and turn on the fan. Um, Oh, am I feeling, uh, am I feeling a little uh, achy? Yeah, maybe, but maybe that's just how I normally feel. Right, right. So, yeah. so, I mean, you know, I'm, I seem to be fine. I seem to be able to, I, I, I was successfully, uh, uh, rebooted my computer. I successfully installed this new microphone. It seems to be working. So probably, you know, that risk calculation versus like, what if we, what if we don't record a podcast today? Well, now we've got to find the time to record it later and then all of the consequences of that. And so, you know, probably made the right decision, uh, even though I might have been feeling under the weather today. Right. 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 And, and, and what's the, like, and here's the benefit side, right? Like, like you're talking about the, the consequence and the, and the probability side and the benefit side is, you know what, we've got some protection, uh, hopefully from, uh, some, you know, serious consequences of, in, uh, of infection of SARS-CoV-2. And so the trade-off for me is worth that, right? Like, like, and if I think about the, the short-term impacts you talked about, or even the long-term I'm in a situation right now that if, if this, if this vaccine leads to some long-term health issues, it, I I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Like, I don't want that, but, but for the limiting the, the risk and the likelihood that that's going to happen is so, so like close to close to zero, right? Like, like infinitesimally small, but, um, but I, but the benefit to me of like, Oh, let's, let's not have, like millions of people dying uh, from from this uh, pathogen over time, that that it's worth it's worth it. It's worth the it, it, it's worth that small risk. Well, and we know there's long term consequences from getting COVID. Exactly. Right? You you and I both know somebody who's uh, one of these long hauler people, yep. and it's and it's and it's miserable. Like like the, this person is is miserable, and and hopefully like she feels better every day. But it's it's not it can't not, it cannot be a fun thing to feel like every day you feel like probably how bad I could theoretically feel if, um, if I have a reaction to the vaccine, like what's one day or two days of being a little bit miserable versus, you know, potentially months of feeling like that. Right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there are some real clear, uh, trade-offs and yeah, again, you know, we, we, we don't, there is no, there is no zero risk from anything, right? If you choose to not do something, then you have the risks from not doing it. Right. Right. I mean, you know, if you choose to, um, not <laughs> uh, clean up the the thirty foot tree. It could fall on somebody. If you choose to pay somebody to do that, then you don't have money for something else, right? And that so there's consequences no matter what, it, right? And that that is, I, I don't know. The more we do this, what you and I do here, the more I think about that in my in ever like in my daily life all the time, right? Like right. like it, it that just that that risk benefit consequence trade-off calculation. And, and I, 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 it, like I was, 
I was probably doing, I probably, we, you know, we probably all do this all the time, but I now think about the meta aspect of like, oh, that's what I'm doing here. Right. Like right. that, right. that, that, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's interesting. And, and it's like, okay. So, so I want to talk, like, I want to move, we, we can come back to other stuff, but I want to move to mm-hmm. food safety stuff yes. quick here. Um, because there is like, I, I don't know, this makes me think of something that I, I threw into Dropbox for us to talk about, um, on the last episode and I don't, and we didn't, we didn't end up doing it. I will send you a link to this. Um, and it's a food safety news article, uh, from, uh, sometime last month, uh, April 22nd. It's uh, Spanish officials seize tons of food mm. meant for vulnerable people. This is one of those like I, we uh, ever since uh, we had um, uh, Kathy Campbell on. Uh, well, I mean, it goes back beyond that, but we had a really great episode with with Kathy talking about this intersection between hunger, waste, and and food safety. And this is like this is one of those ones. So the article um, right, uh, it says Spanish authorities have seized more than 170 tons of food at a nonprofit organization for violations of quality and food safety rules. Um, the Guardia Civil confiscated uh, the product, including canned vegetables, fruit and fish from the group Amigos de Galicia, uh, with a base in the Spanish city of A Coruna. Uh, the value of the confiscated food has been put at more than 285,000 euros. Um, although some of it was later allowed to be distributed, uh, it, it was found, uh, after an inspection by authorities, um, further inspections covered, uh, the logistics center, uh, in, you know, a, a bunch of different parts. They found, um, that there, there was food that was, was never distributed and it was past date. And, um, they also found that 70% of the food was, was damaged and so here's the here's the risk like benefit trade off right and and this is the this this whole intersection what what's the likelihood that something that was damaged and again we don't have a whole lot of information and this was you know translated from its original spanish so i don't really know um all the details but um what what's the likelihood what's the chance that someone got sick or someone would get sick if if they consume this food how do you like suss out the bad stuff and 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 the good stuff and say you know what let's put this over in this corner and we we we're not comfortable sending it out but but the trade off is you've got like 176 tons you know that it seems like a, a lot of food not making it out to people who need it. And so it, it contributes to this like hunger disparity nutrition issue. And, and it's not, none of this is straightforward, but, but I, I like the, this, this puts a point on, on the conversation for me, right? Like this is the type of thing where someone's got to make this decision of what's better, right? Um, protecting people from a food safety standpoint or getting food out there from a hunger standpoint. And, and it's, and there's no right answer. There's no, there's no like clear answer. I should say, um, on this, it becomes a risk management decision, but it's like these types of things are happening all the time. Uh, and I, I don't know, I don't have a, I, 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 you know, in our previous conversation, I just thought about this, you know, this, this thing. So, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned damage and we and you said we don't have any details, but even to say, well, it's it's damaged canned foods. Well, the, it, it matters how those foods are. Those canned foods are damaged. If it's a if it's a, 
uh, a damage to the side of the can, well, that's a relatively robust part of the can, and it's probably not leaking. On the other hand, if it's a if it's something on the double seam, then that's going to be um, more risky because that's the vulnerable weak point on the can. Are the cans damaged and swollen? Well, then for sure they shouldn't go uh, to people. So it really depends upon what you mean by by damage, right? Is it is it frozen food where the labels are scuffed? Well, that's technically damaged, but but probably not unsafe, right? So right. yeah. Um, hey, I'm going to put a pause here real quick because I got to go sure. let the dog out. No one's home. So give me, I'll be back in like two seconds. Yep. No problem. Okay. Insert thanks. the Jeopardy theme here. Yep. Yep. Okay, I'm back. He tries, the dog tries to communicate like a real person. You know, he, he puts on, he, he barks, he, he, he's, he's standing by the door and he's like, I need, I, you know, I'm here. And I, I hear the, like, uh, kind of like an alarm. He gradually gets louder. Like he knows I'm here because he can hear me talking and he thinks that he needs to be a little bit louder. So by the time I got downstairs, he'd, uh, he had migrated some, for some reason, into my closet uh, and he was just barking in there. And I think maybe he thought, well, if I just come in here, this will be, I'll, I can be a little louder or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I need to bark and uh, I, I don't want to destroy, dis- disturb Ben. So yeah. I'm just going to go in here and bark. Yeah. I know he's doing a podcast, <laughs> but I need him to know that I also need to go outside. Uh, so now he's, now he's outside. It's yeah. Um, so so I tried to I tried to play the Jeopardy theme. Um, I don't think it worked. I took my headphones off and held them close to the microphone, um, which made everything squeal. So anyway, <laughs> you'll probably have to fix that. I'll fix. Yeah, I'll edit that out. Uh, okay. So I, there's something else I wanted to. Well, it, there's some stuff. Do you want, do you want to talk food safety things? Are there are there other non like you 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 want to talk about gutters and trees more? I think it's, I think it's time to start the show. <laughs> okay. So. I read a really interesting um, article in LA, in the LA Times um, over the weekend or sometime last week, uh, mm-hmm. and so this one it's in the um, it's in the show notes uh, um, or in the Dropbox. It is from this guy David Lazarus, who I think the reason I I stumbled across this because I follow him on Twitter and I think he interviewed me for uh, an LA times piece a, a while ago, but he's, I really like the way that he writes. So now I read all of his stuff. He's a business columnist for the LA times. Um, so he posted, you know, he wrote this article, um, a hoverboard burst into flames. It could change the way Amazon does business. Um, and so, um, it, 
the it, he starts the article should amazon which accounts for roughly half of all online sales be legally and financially responsible for the safety of products sold on the site including those offered by third parties do you, do you see why i was interested in this don yes <laughs> amazon says no a trio of state court of appeal justices in los angeles this week uh, said otherwise and quote, we are persuaded that Amazon's own business practice makes it a direct link in the vertical chain of distribution under California's strict liability doctrine. The justices ruled rejecting Amazon's claim that its site is merely a platform connecting buyers and sellers. Uh, bottom line, Amazon, and by extension, other third-party retailers, isn't just a bystander when someone purchases a third-party product. It's a key part of the transaction. And so, I mean, they go into to some more details uh, for this, but I, I don't think it's super important, uh, you know, stuff to, to skim on, uh, skim over. But I, I think about this in a food term, a food safety terms, right? So, so I can go on Amazon and say, buy, um, well, let's see, let's see what kind of, see what kind of food I can buy from Amazon, uh, from a third party, uh, dealer. Maybe I can buy some soy nut butter. <laughs> Uh, it's here. It's here. I, I, there is, there is some soy nut butter, some chickpea butter, but uh, it's not, it's not recalled soy nut butter no. from a facility that's been shut down. Not this one, not this one. <laughs> Just to be clear. Okay. But, but I can't tell if I go through, um, if I scroll through this, this whole like page of soy nut butter. Um, and the reason why, again, as Don's alluding to the reason why I, I'm looking for soy nut butter is because uh, a couple of years ago, we were able to purchase some uh, soy nut butter that had been recalled through Amazon that came through a third party seller. I can't tell Don, if, and you tell me if you can tell how many of these, and it's, I mean, it's a whole page. There's gotta be 50 or 60 of these. How many of these actually are from third party or from Amazon themselves. Even if I click on them, I can't really tell who it's coming from. Right. Right. And so, yeah. And to, I mean, to, and to your, to your point, like what does that, and it's not even, it's not even soy, like you did a search for soy nut butter, but because the site is being helpful, it's telling, it's showing you other things yeah. like chickpea butter, which is not soy nut butter. Right. And so, what is the yeah? What should what should people what should people do? What do they know? I mean, yeah, it's like there's all these different kinds of wow butter. Yes, but like there's there that's all all the wow butter is different, right? The the sizes are different. The resolution of the photos is different. I would personally, I would buy one that had a better looking photo and not a not a a poorly scanned uh, GIF or GIF. Um, uh, you know, because that's how I make my food safety decisions. Right. But, yeah, but but to the average person, I mean, who like you know, and hell, here's here's mixed nuts, right? Which is which is clearly not soy nut butter, right? But it's a sponsored link, so it, yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, yeah, and it, you know, let's say I were to if I were to go to Walmart or Wegmans or Target, and I were to buy something in a bricks and mortar store. They have some responsibility, right? Right. They have some responsibility if it's a store brand, but even if it's not, they the buyers for that corporation made the decision. They've somehow vetted that, right? So I, I do I do think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a skate for Amazon's lawyers to try to argue what they did. So but well, again, it, it it depends on the state too. Like that, what yes. might uh, fly in California might not fly somewhere else. 
Well, and I can go like in this, as I, as I look at these, I can click on like, they've, they've got a little link underneath. If you click on a product, they've got a link under where under that says like, you know, the wow butter store, or I'm on the visit, the don't go nuts store. And so I'm assuming that don't go nuts is as a third party retailer. Like this isn't just, you know, Amazon holding this, they, they are facilitating the relationship between me and the place that I'm going to buy it. Amazon is right. And, and, the the and I, I don't want to like I don't I don't want to make this sound like Amazon doesn't care about those third party um, uh, uh, stores or, or retailers. I think they they very much do. And in fact, we had a really you know I mentioned this in the last episode, but we had a really great um, session at the conference for food protection where um, Jessica Siu from Amazon talked about what they do, how they use machine learning and AI in managing recalls and, and a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. So I, I, I don't want it like, I think the article that, um, that David Lazarus talks about is it sort of paints it as like Amazon wants this to be hands off. And I think what they're really arguing is that they shouldn't be held responsible for it. Like they will put practices in place to manage these third party retailers and say, here are the standards you have to hit. But if something goes wrong, Amazon doesn't want to be part of that lawsuit. Right, like they don't want to have that strict liability. It's it's between me as the purchaser and the third party, you know, distributor or retailer, um, not Amazon it, itself. And and I like I kind of disagree with that. I think your your analogy of walking into a bricks bricks and mortar situation. They they they're vetting it. They're looking. They're putting in food safety. Thing, um, steps in practice. They may be sending third-party auditors out. They may be sending their own auditors out. They've they've got a, a whole bunch of stuff that people people have to do. And the fact that I walk into their store and trust their brand is all part of this. And and so I I just I, I thought this was fascinating um, in in the you know in in the sense of it, it gives a little bit of insight into online sales. And I know ex- like I see exactly why why Amazon would make this argument. But I think from a consumer standpoint, I don't see them any different than when I walk into Harris Teeter or food line or Publix um, here or Walmart. Yeah. 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 No, no, I, I agree. And I'll say in interest of full disclosure, like I consult for them. I, I think I own some stock because I think they're a good, they're a good company. I mean, they're, you know, they're probably an evil company, but whatever they're a good company yeah. to own stock in. Um, and I can tell you the food safety people I work with are really, really dedicated, right? Really hardworking, really de- dedicated people. Um, but you know, that's, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they're not buying my, all of my opinions. Right. <laughs> they're not buying any of my opinions. Um, they're buying my expertise to help them solve a specific problem, which is unrelated to this. Right. But it's still, um, it's still interesting. Right. And these are, these are for sure very interesting times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like our whole, our whole regulatory system wasn't really built to handle this, right? Like the rise of Amazon and online sales and, and the trading and, and, you know, process behind this whole thing. Did we talk about, and and even, even to make it even bigger, right? Like, like Twitter and Facebook, which not, not necessarily related to food safety, but just in terms of like, I mean, Congress needs to get get with it and realize that, you know, that, that just like we had regulations about the news media and news outlets and and that kind of stuff that, you know, Twitter and Facebook need need regulation, too. And, and, and if, if people can get on there and, and have practice hate, hate speech and uh, dox people, then maybe we need to not uh, allow that, you know. Right. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a whole like. 
I don't know, co- like complicated thing that we're we're just slow at catching up when it comes to um, to putting in um, regulations and or or not or addressing it. Okay, so before we leave Amazon, did uh, did we did you and I talk about this under understood um, episode about the China the China's mystery seeds? Do you, do, uh, we 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 have talked about this before. Okay. I don't know if we talked about the under understood episode, but we for sure have talked about these mystery seeds. So the I, the reason why I say the under like the check out this under understood episode. Yeah. We'll we'll link to it in, in show notes. Um, it, there's an Amazon online shopping like component to this, where one of the one of the theories that um, that the under understood folks uh, explore is that it, it these seed. These seeds that arrived were related to brushing, which is a, t- some, a term that I had not heard of until I listened to this episode. But it's about um, paying for positive reviews, and and it's a like the mechanics of it is y- you you would buy a, you know x number of positive reviews, and the only way that someone could could sell you those like to actually do these positive reviews is they so some something has to be shipped and received and then someone goes in and like creates a positive review anyway it's it like they'll explain it they explain it much much better than than I do but it's part of this it's like that whole world like I would never have thought and and maybe this is like maybe maybe the folks in in online sales got this like 15 years ago but I've never I like I think about it how I use it as a consumer and and uh, I I will as I'm looking for things that there are multiple options, Danny's like, well, check the reviews, right? Like, like, do people like this? What is it? What does it say? What are the questions? Does it do all like do our, let's do our research on whatever it is we're, we're, we're buying. And some of that is useful, but some of it is this like brushing of they're not even real reviews and, and that, but there's a whole economy that is built around fake reviews that like, it's, it, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of fascinating to think about the, the things that we hadn't thought about that that come from you know online sales for instance so anyway check out the under understood episode because it's pretty good yeah and and you know and so we'll there's a it looks like a pretty good article on brushing which we'll link to and then uh, if i can find the yeah uh, uh fake spot so we'll we'll link to i think it's called fake spot um, which is a tool you can use, which basically uses, I guess, AI mm. or, or some other tools to find uh, fake Amazon reviews. Cool. So and tell you and tell you whether they're, they're legit or not. I think it's called Fake Spot. So uh, we'll we'll look for a link for that. Um, awesome. Hey, so um, we got we've got some feedback here to talk about. Uh, you want to you want to do that? I got there's a, yeah. I did some homework, so that's why I'm oh. I'm oh, eager. So- Oh, so did you do the homework of listening to the FDA mm, podcast? Sort of. <laughs> okay, let's talk about let's talk about the FDA podcast. So okay. I'll, I'll start. Yes. Um, so uh, uh, FDA has a new podcast, which is I think it's a podcast. I mean, you, I could listen to it in my podcast player. Uh, I'm not exactly sure whether it's an actual legit podcast that you can listen to on um uh through uh, apple podcasts but i could find an mp3 and so uh it is uh the the fda page is new era of smarter food safety tech talk podcast um i guess that's the name of the podcast um i did actually listen to the entire podcast what i what i what i did first i had to figure out how to get it into overcast and then once i did that i listened to it on my uh on my dog walk uh, or I started listening to it maybe before the dog walk and had to uh, basically stop listening because the audio quality was terrible. Um, And then I said something snarky on Twitter 
including um, uh, at uh, uh, at uh, mentioning Frank Giannis, who is a friend of ours, who's basically heads up food safety for FDA and who is the first voice you hear on the podcast talking through a horrible microphone. Um, and I, I shamed him into it and he said, I'm, I'm, I'll take care of it. I'm going to get a better microphone for next time. So, so good luck with that, Frank. I, I, I wish you, I wish you success with that. He's not going to listen to this. Um, and then what I had to do after that was partly to clean my palate and partly to make sure that I wasn't too much of a hypocrite. I went and listened to a short episode of risky or not, um, just to make sure that we sounded okay and we sounded fine. And then I went back to the FDA podcast and then I, I cranked up the speed as fast as I could handle. Um, and, and listen to the rest of it. And it was good. It wasn't, again, you know, the problem with federal agency podcasts is they are scripted. Um, the good thing that they did here was they interviewed some people that did not have scripts in front of them. And so, again, some food safety people that we that we know, uh, and they, they had some good things to say. Um, there is also apparently a transcript. And so uh, I guess if you don't like the audio quality and you want to listen to the transcript, you can you can hear what they have to say. But I, I, I enjoyed hearing what Angela Fernandez, Allison Grantham, and Hillary Thesmar had to say. Uh, Hillary is a, is a good friend that we know. Um, uh, Angela and Allison, I don't think I know, but I'm familiar. Uh, Allison works for the Institute of Food Technologists at the Food Traceability Center, uh, which is a, a group that I'm, I am familiar with, although I, I've, I haven't t- t- checked in with them lately um, and, and don't know Allison. But they had, some, they had some good things to say that didn't sound terribly, terribly scripted. Um, and, you know, even at 1.5x, um, I, got some, I got some value out of it. So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, it was good, and uh, I think they're, they're on to something, but they really do need to try to fix the audio quality. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It, it sounded like there's some like phone call people calling in as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and no, it was it was good. And so, so here's where I, I also uh, similarly just I couldn't deal with the um, with the audio. I listened to about a minute and a half of it, and then I read the transcript. <laughs> and so I read the podcast. I, uh, I, I listened at 1.5x while walking my dogs. Yeah, because that was less effort than reading it. Well, and that and I, you know, it, it's all. I, sometimes I just uh, like when I was in the mountains this weekend. I I mm-hmm. was sitting and and I had my iPad and we had, I was yeah. reading. I read read yeah. read the podcast. Um, yeah, but I thought it was an interesting conversation. Uh, I think you know, again, we're not we're not the folks to critique other people's podcasts for having lots of people on, but there was a lot of voices. Um, in that first like two minutes. And, Mm -hmm. and so it was, I think it's an interesting conversation. I think it's difficult to have a podcast where you've got, um, like five different voices, um, that, that are all kind of like talking through different, different things. Uh, but they, but I agree. There's some, there was some good, there was some good stuff, um, that, that, that was, uh, alluded to. And, and the thing that I pro I appreciated more than anything on this is that there were like, FDA folks, as well as, um, uh, you know, people from representing the industry in, in a, you know, in a couple of different ways, sort of exchanging it, exchange, having a dialogue in a, in a way that we would maybe see on a panel at a, at a conference where, where it's, it's a little bit more off the cuff, but it's more, it's more conversational and, and that we don't often have that kind of um, kind of, uh, thing. So, so I, you know, uh, kudos to, to FDA to jump in Frank and, um, and, and folks to jump into this. Uh, but, but it was, you know, I think it's a good, I think it's a good start, but it's, yeah, quarter, it's I, quarterly. Yeah. I, it's It comes out quarterly. It comes out quarterly. That's what it says. It's our quarter Ooh. quarterly. Uh, so look for next quarter. 
Okay. Um, well, that's uh, that's not the way I'm familiar with podcasts, but okay. I mean, yeah, it's it was very it was much more like a roundtable session yeah. at an IAFP, for example. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, but but good. Yeah. So, another podcast follow up. Uh, I did some other homework. Uh, this this comes to us from. Oh, I lost the little thing. A listener to the podcast, um, uh, Scott. And uh, it's, uh, Scott writes, uh, says, uh, Dr. Don, Dr. Dank, <laughs> I've been listening to the back catalog of uh, causality, ca- causality, right? Is that how you say that? Uh, which Merlin has mentioned a few times. It's mostly a show about engineering disasters uh, through an engineering lens. I just got to the episode about Walkerton's untreated well water institute incident, which I recall being discussed several times. Uh, I didn't see mention of causality on in show notes, so I'm passing it on. And I listen to like it's a 37 minute podcast. I listened to like 25 minutes of this today. Oops. And it it's a lovely it's a good it's a good podcast. I have not I've I've not heard Merlin talk about this, but maybe I've I've missed it. Uh, but uh, you know, check out we'll link to this in in show notes. But there's a really good episode on on this disaster in Walkerton, Ontario, where uh, a whole bunch of people got sick from E. coli in the water system and just like poor risk management and uh, people problems, not infrastructure problems. Yep. Yep. No. And then when, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the Frank. Thanks for the link. It was not something that I had heard of. And I, I figured it might be certainly of interest to you, uh, you know, cause you follow, you have followed the Walkerton thing pretty, pretty closely. So yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Um, oh, and speaking of feedback, I, I really want to give a giant, um, shout out to, uh, deep new England, uh, for, uh, yes. basically correcting us on our comments. And so, uh, this is uh, feedback on Ep- risky or not, uh, one thirty six, uh, where we talk Talked about eating cold leftovers, and so Deep uh, New England, who is a, a co- uh, often uh, gives us feedback. She says, "I was waiting for you to reference this from the 2017 Food Code 3-403.10 preparation for immediate service." Cooked and refrigerated food that is prepared for immediate service in response to an individual consumer order, such as a roast beef sandwich au jus, may be served at any temperature. And so in the we, we kind of beat up a little bit on the food code in that episode 136 of Risky or Not uh, because it, we, we said it's a little bit silly to tell people that you, you know, that consumers have to reheat their, their leftovers and, the, and the, in food service, you always have to reheat your leftovers. It turns out we were wrong. And so I uh, really appreciate um, this this feedback. We obviously do not. Uh, where we are. We know something about the food code, but obviously there are people out there that know it way better than we do. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And. Um, but I, it, like, I think it totally highlights what we were, what we were talking about. And, uh, I think we, the, we're in agreement, uh, on, on the not, not risky in this one. Uh, and it, like, and as, and as, uh, deep new England points out, so is the, so is the food code. Yeah. Um, so I saw, okay. Um, you, because we talk about risk, this isn't the risky or not show, uh, but we do talk about risk and we don't really, when we, when we do risky or not, we don't talk about some of the stuff, but I just saw a paper. I think it was the last night or this morning that I had not seen that I'm going to drop a PDF for you, Don. Actually, I'll, I'm not going to drop a PDF. I'm just going to give you the link. Um, so there was an article in food safety news, um, that, uh, references, um, uh, the one one of the concepts that you and I talk about quite a bit is that there's no zero risk. 
Um, and so the, the food safety news article talks about a paper that was written by folks that we know, um, uh, Marcel Zwiedering, uh, Alberto, uh, Gare, uh, Martin Weedman and, uh, Bob Buchanan. And it, it's a paper that was, that was published last year that, that I'm going to start using, uh, when I, when I talk to people, cause I actually thought when I read through this this morning, I thought it was really pretty good at explaining what we are talking about. And so the article is in, um, uh, current opinion in food science, and the title is All Food Processes Have Residual Risk. Some are small, some very small, and some are extremely small. Zero risk does not exist. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know, I thought this was a really a good summation of what what you and I talk about as it relates to all food carries risk. And and it's it's measuring those um, those differences between small, very small and extremely small is, is really the, I, I think the, the fun part about what we do, but I don't know. Had you seen this paper? Is this, I, uh, not only did I see it, <laughs> I hopefully improved it as a peer reviewer. So, oh. uh, yes, I, I was a peer reviewer on this. It's, it's a, it is a nice article. Um, it is, it did read a bit and may still read a bit like it was written by a committee, right? Yes. Uh, Cause if you, and I don't know Alberto, I do know Marcel Martin and Bob, the three of them are very strong personalities. It, it looks like maybe uh, Alberto uh, was a graduate student at Wageningen, um, but uh, the others were associated with their respective institutions. And um, yeah, probably Marcel was driving the, the process, but they all have opinions. They all are very have people with with strong uh, strong opinions, hopefully loosely held. Um, and uh, but but it did read a little bit like it was written by a committee, and I hopefully fixed some of that with my with my comments. But yes, really, and a great title, like it's yeah. a fantastic title. Uh, one thing that I'm trying to do more as an author of manuscripts and as as an editor of journals is to try to get people to write better titles, and this is a great title. Yeah, it's it's a great title, and I would I would highlight. My, my favorite part, like think about like new students or, or people that are r- new to this world of, of trying to look at risks. I, this is a paper that I'm going to provide to them. Uh, and there's a, there's a section, um, that I think is really nice. Um, it's on, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what page it's a heading is different ways to look at the residual risk, risk per serving total risk and burden of disease. And they go through a really good, like discussion of, here's what all of those things mean. And here's why none of them are, are perfect. And they all, you, you have to know which one you're looking at to, to really understand what you mean by risk. And, and it's, I don't know. I just, I thought it was, I, I hadn't seen the paper. saw it in my food safety news feed this morning. And I was like, yeah, this is good. This is, it's a, it's a good starting point for, for folks um, as a, as a companion to what we do here. Yeah, and I will say on this topic, and this is an older document, uh, but it gets at this same point, which is again no, no surprise because it's uh, it's it's uh, Buchanan had a, had a hand in this. This is uh, the um, I'll, we'll link to the interpretive summary, which is shorter, and it's a quantitative assessment of the relative risk of public health from foodborne Listeria monocytogenes among selected categories of ready-to-eat foods, and this is by uh, FDA SIFSAN and USDA FSIS, and specifically, I want to call out the uh, table summary table four, which for different foods 
gives you the two talks about the, the two whoops oh. the two different ways so bianca is locked here in my room with me because i closed the door because it was noisy outside and uh she is trying to get out and she's whimpering and i have a, a little poster that's framed that was against the wall and oh, she no. has now knocked it over and that frightened her that's what that noise was oh. the poster falling over and then bianca being frightened um so sorry about that uh folks um this is what you get in these this high quality non-governmental produced podcast that's um, right that's right and so summary table four has the relative risk ranking uh, on a per serving basis, which looks at the total um, number of cases and then also on a, uh, the, a per annum basis, which is the – sorry. So risk per serving is like if you eat this, what is your chance of getting sick from a single serving basically? And so these are all – these are small numbers and they get much, much smaller, right? And so the riskiest food is deli meats, which has an – uh, a per serving risk of 7.7 times 10 to the minus eight, right? And so that's how many servings you, if you, if you invert that, that's the number of servings you would eat before you would get sick. Okay. Versus the per annum basis where you basically take that risk per serving and you multiply it by the population and the number of people that are eating servings. And then deli meats comes out at the top of that list as well, um, with, uh, 1598.7 cases, um, and again, this is a calculated number, and it's also based on the state of listeria risk as it was known back when this was published, which is which is quite a quite a few years ago now. And we have since made some changes to how we regulate um, uh, uh, deli meat. Yeah, two thousand and three, we regulate deli meats differently now, and that number has probably come down. But it is a good way. And so, so, so deli meats comes to the top of both lists. Um, but the second one on the per serving is frankfurters not reheated. And the second one on the per annum basis is actually pasteurized fluid milk, which mm. comes down way, way low on the per serving basis. Um, but it's high on the per annum basis because why we consume lots of serving of pasteurized fluid right, milk. Right, right, right. And so I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let Bianca out of my office and you can talk for a little bit. Okay. Uh, sounds good. Um, it, th this discussion – uh, reminds me of, uh, I, I guess lectured in a, in a class last week at, uh, the Ohio state university, um, with, uh, four, uh, colleagues who teach a course, uh, who you and I know, uh, Barbara Kowalczuk and, uh, Kara Morgan. And we talked about this. It was a, I think the, um, it was a public health course and, and, but, but we sort of talked about the, you know, in fact, specifically talked about the risk of of uh, consuming undercooked hot dogs as well as as deli meat and the difference in risk over time. Right, like if we go back to the mid nineties, the the risks associated with with those products were were much higher. I would say that the 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 probability was much higher. Now we have way more process controls and other things that we've added into the system to, to reduce the likelihood of listeria being there in, in the, in, in the first place. But it, it's like it, it came up because I, I use it as an example of sort of one of these good news situations, right? Like that's, it's, it's a, it's a problem that we identified a while ago that we've now, in the industry, I, I not not solve, but certainly reduce like the likelihood. We haven't had a undercooked hot dog related outbreak in in you know well over a decade. We see some listeria linked deli meat um, issues every once in a while, but if we n nothing like it was, if we think of the Pilgrim's Pride um, linked uh, outbreak or uh, Maple Leaf outbreak, like nothing massive and substantial for for quite some time. And I think that th those are these like. 
I don't know, good, good news, food safety stories. And, but with, and so like what I kind of talked about afterwards, and and this is something that I I think we've got some follow-up on this as well is the, the difference between that and, you know, we, we solve or, or get close to solving a problem. And then all of a sudden, Hey, we find a bunch of sugar toxin producing E. coli and flour, right? Like now we got this other thing that we didn't even know about 15 years ago. And, and certainly from a microbiological standpoint, there wasn't a reason why, why, um, flour was, you know, uh, couldn't have led to illnesses. It's just, we, we, we now we caught it. And so now we got to focus on that and try to fix that, that issue as well. But, it, but I, I mean, the deli meat and, and, and Frankfurter, uh, conversation, I think the, like, that's one where the, the, I don't know, the risk conversation has changed over time because of the processes that we put in place. Yeah, which in part we put in place because we did risk assessments yes. that told us, hey, look, this is the risk and this is this seems to be what the science would suggest is the best way to manage that risk. And so, yeah, yeah, it, it, I would say it's it's for us. It's definitely been a success story. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, speaking of follow-up, I don't know, or flower, did we put this in the f- flower follow-up? Did, we, did this one end up in the animal sharing news? We, we got an email yesterday. Do you remember this? No. Uh, okay. So this is, uh, so I'm, I'm going to read this. Um, and I think uh, we'll, we'll, uh, this is, it's, let's say it's from deep, deep flower. <laughs> uh, and, and so the, t- the title is, uh, food for thought. Um, I have, t- uh, Dr. Don, professor Ben, I have two questions or subject areas that I'd appreciate your views on one managing the risk from flour Two, how the industry manages risk with leafy greens. Both have the same overarching theme, which is now that we clearly, that we know clearly these things pose a risk to consumers under FSMA, we must put preventive controls into place to ensure we control these risks. And so, um, flour we've talked about on, on this, uh, podcast a lot. There, there've been, um, outbreaks associated with flour. There was a paper that, uh, that just came out on consumer knowledge and behaviors regarding food safety risks associated with wheat flour, uh, uh, from, uh, Betty Fang. Um, there's, uh, you know, in, in that, uh, paper consumers are basically not aware that flour is a risk and shouldn't consume, uh, flour without cooking it. Uh, 66% of consumers did actually eat raw flour. Um, and the warning message on the pack was less impactful with folks who are raw eaters than they're with non-raw eaters. Um, so, you know, uh, deep, deep flower wants to know what our view on this is. And really the question is how can the food industry sensibly address this risk? And then, so let's talk about that and then let's get to leafy greens, um, a little bit about it. Yeah. So I can say that the flower industry is for sure interested in this, right? Like I, uh, a friend, friend of the podcast, Linda Harris has been approached by them. I have been approached by them. I've been doing a little bit of work for one of the flower companies, basically trying to help them get a handle on risk. And so for sure, um, uh, folks in the flower industry are looking for a treatment. The, 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 the problem is that the, you know, we, we flour is a raw product. And so the treatment is to bake it. Right. Um, but if you, is there some place in the middle of the process, perhaps during the milling operation where you could give it a treatment, um, and you want to give it a treatment that, uh, enables it to retain its, um, baking properties, right. And it's flavor profile, but yet have a lower risk. And so 
I can say the industry is looking at it. Um, the uh, Deep Flower uh, suggests using e-beam technology, which is basically a form of uh, irradiation treatment, uh, electron beam uh, treatment. And, you know, that might work, but we have to realize that anytime you use any of these treatments, including uh, radiation, radiation techniques like e-beam or or, or cobalt 60, um, there are quality trade-offs and certainly the things that kill bacteria can also cause, let's say, fats to oxidize. And so there may be some, some quality effects. You know, we've had the ability to produce irradiated ground beef, which has a minimal risk of a very, you know, much reduced risk of E. coli 157H7. But the problem is when you open that package, uh, there is a smell which, is, which has been described as wet dog, which mm. is a an effect of that irradiation. And so so if you want to have your irradiated ground beef, which I believe they at least used to sell at Wegmans, uh, you can have that, but you have to put up with the the, the quality uh, trade-offs. And so, um, but for sure, the industry is working on this. One thing that I found to be quite interesting is that one of the possible treatments is simply to hold the flower for a longer period of time. These organisms are stable in flower, but they die slowly over time. Uh, we've got estimated rates of reduction from laboratory experiments. I actually was able to estimate a rate of reduction from some epidemiological data, which doesn't exactly match up to the published data, which would suggest that it's slower. Um, but based on my calculations, which would suggest that the organisms that find their way into flower might be in a more resistant uh, state than organisms that are uh, inoculated in there by microbiologists, and so we've we've got to still got to sort that out. But but certainly, and flower has a long shelf life, right? So it's not like leafy greens. If if things died in leafy greens and we could mitigate the risk by holding them for a month, we would have no leafy green industry because the the month basically takes up most of the shelf life of those products. On the other hand, flower has a twelve month shelf life. And you could hold it for if you could hold it for a month, and that would have a significant reduction on risk um, simply by warehousing it. That that might actually be a, a useful a useful treatment. And we still and you know in terms of flour, we still don't know exactly where it's coming from. And then maybe there are mitigations we can put in place in the field or in milling elevators or grain elevators prior to milling, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so there are some things that we could do there. But but for sure, the industry is looking at treatments. Um, um, and then the, the question would be, well, what kind of a, how good does a treatment need to be? Um, you know, does it need to have, be a five log or could what would the effect of a three log you know, treatment be, et cetera, et cetera? Right, right. And, and it's analogous. You mentioned our, our friend Linda's work. To me, it, it's. It, this balance is kind of analogous to to what uh, she and and also a uh, you know, friend of the show, but also is uh, thinks she's banned, but is not banned. Uh, Michelle Daniluk working in the area of almonds. Well, check back, check Let's back, say yeah, check back. Check back. Uh, but um, you know the 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 idea of heat treating and um, almonds for pathogen reduction, but with also maintaining the rawness of those on of those almonds. I almost said olives and onions, and those are not the products <laughs> I'm talking about. It's almonds. Uh, and, and so that, that's the, that, like, that's the, exactly the balance, right? Like there's no, we don't, we don't have a real good solution for this of how do we, how do we treat this and reduce pathogens, but also keep all the properties the same. And, and it's going to take some, some time to, to figure that out. Uh, deep flowers, leafy green question revolves. Before, or, sorry, oh, before we leave flower, can I just interject a little of bit course. of self-promotion here? So, so we've been interested in, in or microbial survival in these low water activity foods. And as a callback to the earlier suggestion that people publish papers that have uh, better titles, uh, my graduate student, uh, Matt Igo and I 
recently had a paper published entitled Models for Factors Influencing Pathogen Survival in Low Water Activity Foods from Literature Data are Highly Significant but Show Large Unexplained Variants. And so what, what Matt and I published in this paper was basically analysis of the literature on Salmonella, E. coli, and Listeria in dry foods. And there are some factors that are very significant, but the data are also incredibly scattered, right? And so with, with large uh, variation. And so we still just don't know enough about, like, what are the factors? Are there, there seem to be strain differences. There may be culture preparation differences. And again, Matt's working on some other aspects of that as part of his, his PhD. And so um, there's still a lot to learn about um, survival under, under dry conditions. So sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, it, it's, it's good because it, it kind of leads into what I think the root of uh, of deep flowers questions about is, you know, do we look at chigatoxin E. coli in flower eventually as something that that has a, a, a regulatory connotation, um, which is a reasonably foreseeable hazard? And the reason why he was asking about this is because um, – uh, recently, um, and I'll, I'll read from uh, an article that um, that was published by um, you know someone, another I guess friend of the show, uh, Ashley Eisenbeiser, uh, who's at FMI, um, and she she wrote uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. FDA says E. coli and leafy greens is a quote reasonably foreseeable hazard. What does that mean? Um, and there's a very like in you know she, the, the article's really really great, um, but she it explicitly says it, if when when something consider this particular strain of E. coli 0157H7 a reasonably foreseeable hazard for the central coast growing region, which encompasses encompasses the Salinas Valley and Santa Maria growing regions. Um, it means under the produce rule that farms have to take all measures necessary to identify and not harvest covered produce that is likely to be contaminated with a known or reasonably foreseeable hazard and handle harvested covered produce during covered activities in a manner that protects against contamination with no known or reasonably foreseeable hazards. Essentially, it, it it's not – it now, it, you know, but it, as if FDA identifies this, it, it now means you you have to focus on. Um, it, it, you're no longer just doing good agricultural practices in a preventative way. It's you, you got to th this pathogen is likely to be there or reasonably foreseeable to be there, and so you have to put a plan in in place to particularly focus on this particular pathogen, and and that's like. It's kind of how, you know, I know that this is happening in lots of areas, whether it's like cyclospora or, um, you know, E. coli 157H7 and leafy greens in this particular growing region. It's it, it kind of, we kind of see FDA's um, thought process on this that, that it's, it, I don't know, it's, to me, it's no longer just do all the good things for food safety. It's now have a plan for how you're going to manage this particular pro uh, pathogen. And yeah, and we we've seen it for you know regions of California. We've also seen it for Yuma Valley. We've talked in the past about the Yuma outbreak, yep. and um, again, I was involved in a, a, a expert testimony in a legal case, which I think has settled. Um, but that is you know it's very interesting. I mean, it's like yeah, if I could redesign that part of the world, I wouldn't put these uh, CAFOs, um, you know, animal feeding operations in close proximity to growing raw agricultural products but on the other hand um they again it's it's not it's not 
it's not, it, it's a bit, of, it's, well, watch, let me just say it and then I'll decide what it is. So um, mo- most of the food coming out of most of that region, most of the time doesn't make people sick, right? But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem that needs to be somehow addressed. Right, right. And it, it's, um, it's a problem that needs to be addressed and, and the mitigation, fa- like wh- one of the things, if I go back to the last, like, you know, 15 years of working with, with, pro- with, with farmers or, or small, you know, small businesses, you, you get down these like, uh, esoteric arguments of like, well, now I'm going to have to put bird netting up and, and I, you know, I grow, the, I grow my stuff outside and how will I control all these things? What, putting a, a, a label of a reasonably foreseeable hazard does is says, yeah, those are all, all these other things are, let's do our best. But this is one that you really have to focus on. Like how, how do you know that, you know, we, we, we've seen, um, in these outbreak investigations that water certainly is a facilitating issue. So how do we, how, what are you doing specifically for 0157 in water? What are you specifically doing in the washing process to, to manage 0157? Like, like, yeah, worry about the other pathogens too, but this one really matters for us now, right? Like that's, that's the piece. So, so don't like, uh, it's, I don't know. It's, it's almost like, when um when when USDA said 0157 is an adulterant in in beef, right? Like yeah, there's mm-hmm. salmonella that's there too. And and we should do a lot of things to keep salmonella out of beef, but but we're going to put an entire testing regime about 0157 and with the you know with the thoughts that that will really reduce risk. And I I think like going back to something we talked about earlier, I think there's been a really good news response to that. Like that adulterant as as much of a pain in the ass it is for for the industry that it it changed like they did not want that. It made it so we we focused on that one pathogen and really have seen the the risk reduction. And again, like I, I don't know, this is a one of those uh, episodes where we tie it all back to a whole bunch of different things. It's not zero risk. Like we still have outbreaks, we still have illnesses, but the focus on that one pathogen has. We've made a lot of progress in that, and and so making this a re, like it. It matters that FDA says that it's a that, that it's a reasonably foreseeable hazard, right? Like to, to me, it means you you've got in it it puts it puts the industry in a place that they have to respond to that. And yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I think that's a good thing. Like I, I don't you know, and I I don't I'm not growing lettuce, so I think if I was growing lettuce, I'd think differently. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about animal sharing laws? Yes. Okay, um, so uh, this comes from uh, Deep Noodle. Uh, Deep Noodle writes, hello, I've been seeing legislation changed and proposing for more changes to the supply chain food industry, including small businesses and more direct to consumer. Among these, including the animal sharing law, and this is, uh, we'll link to uh, an article that was in Food Safety News, and Montana's Local Food Choice Act, which we did talk about a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was wondering what you got, your guys' thoughts are on this, and if more states were going to follow through with similar legislation. And so the um, the, the first one that, that I want to highlight here is the is the um, uh, animal animal sharing law in Colorado. So do you uh, did you did you look at this? You know what this is? I, I looked at it, and first I thought it was like, well, um, I don't really want to. 
a dog and you don't really want a dog, but maybe between the two of us, we could, we could share a dog. Right. Well, and kind so of. I, that's was that. that. <laughs> if we were going to eat the dog, which yeah. no, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm unlikely to eat my dog. Uh, or let you eat yeah, my dog. Let's be clear. Let's be on the record here. We are, we are firmly anti eating our pets. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So no, this is interesting. And obviously the, the, um, the most direct application is to uh, cow sharing for raw milk, right? But obviously, you could have the same thing with respect to beef. And the, and the, the lovely caption uh, there at the top of the Food Safety News article, uh, which says fresh meats and then has a picture of a cow that has the different cuts of the cow uh, labeled, um, I think is sort of takes you right to the point of what this is about, right? And so the idea is that I um, I don't want to own a cow. I don't want to butcher a cow, but boy, I would like uh, half a cow or a quarter of a cow or, you know, some part of a cow. And, uh, I'd like to help a local farmer by doing that. Right. And so, um, this, it seems like my very quick read of this, this law is going to make it easier to do this. Yeah. And, and it's, um, Yeah. So the bill allows a person to sell without licensure meat, animals, or shares of cattle, calves, sheep, bison, goats, hogs, and rabbits to an informed end consumer for future delivery without regulation or inspection by a public health agency if the following conditions are met. And so that there's a document that says this is exempt from regulation and inspection, um, that it, you know, it happens in Colorado that livestock remains subject to brand inspection by the um, Colorado Department of Agriculture. So it's, you know, they're not, um, it's not a food safety inspection. Uh, and that, so, so it's, it, it, it essentially deregulates the meat selling process. If I go connect with a farmer and they sell me a share of that, of that cow, uh, I don't know, like, okay. Right. You know, like this is a, if this is a thing that people are doing, then that that's, that's fine. I, my, well, my, well let's, 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 but let's finish the list. Right? Oh, okay. It's sorry. It's an interesting list, right? Yeah. Uh, only one inspection immediately before slaughter is authorized. Um, the, uh, the state board of stock inspection commissioners has to write some rules. Um, the bill will prohibit the resale of an animal. So in other words, I can buy a cow share, but I can't sell it to my neighbor. Right. Yep. And then the seller is not liable in a civil action yeah. for damages caused by inadequate cooking or improper preparation. So in other words, the burden is on the customer, uh, to correctly prepare that. And if you don't, you can't sue the seller. Yeah. Which I think it's, it's, it, it, the whole thing is quite interesting. And, uh, I'm, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on this, um, except to say it's interesting and I, I, I'm interested to see what happens. Well, yeah. And my, my, I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad you get to that, that bottom bullet. Cause this is where my, my thought goes. I'm, I'm like, whatever, right? Like I'm, I have no, I don't really care either way. See, uh, in famous episode uh, 22, I believe it was, uh, Raw Milk Amsterdam, uh, for more information. Um, but uh, it, the the issue here is the the seller gives a document or a consumer document displays a disclaimer that says this is you know exempt and. I think that they also need to tell people that if you get sick from this, I'm not responsible for it. Like, like to me, that's not explicitly in here, but if, if I know, okay, Hey, this isn't inspected meat. 
I, I can't guarantee that it's that it's safe. And you, the person who are, are, are going to buy this, you're responsible for all safety precautions and you can't sue me. That, that you know, if we can get to a point where people, like the, 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 there's a message that has all of those components, I'm like, okay, go, you know, go for it. Be, be an informed consumer, right? Um, informed end consumer, as it, as it says directly, uh, directly here, and make our own, our, our own risk decisions. What I worry about is similar to, uh, you know, all the fun things that we've seen with posting restaurant inspections where people try to hide their grades. I, I think, you know, you might meet the requirement of the law by posting a disclaimer, but it may not actually lead to an informed end consumer. That That's my my only thing here. But that comes down to the State Board of Stock Inspection Commissioners to uh, put together rules uh, to, to clarify this. But I think, like, this is good. I hadn't, I, this one did not hit my radar. I hadn't seen this, um, this, uh, issue, but it's, I, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, it, it, I'm, I agree with you. I like, we'll see how this, how this all plays out. And who knows, like, you know, this is the silly time of, uh, state legislatures where all these things get proposed and they never end up becoming laws, <laughs> right? Like, like we will, we may never see anything. It's, it's on the, it's on the desk of the governor, but who knows if it actually happens. Um, Oh, we got we got something else that we haven't talked about. Do you want to talk about um, cashew brie? Uh oh, have I lost you? Sorry, I'm on mute. You're on mute. Were you um, talking? Were you talking? Do you want to talk yeah, about? I cashew- said, uh, yes, absolutely. I would love to talk about uh, cashew brie, and also I want to talk about a uh, it, as related to cashew brie uh, a query I got from a reporter, uh, which I would like your take on. Um, yeah, so and I'm noticing this this mic seems to be better at picking up background noises so i'm trying to be better about muting so. yeah well and, and you're gonna have to get some um some coffee burlap uh, baffling uh for oh. your for your room the, the marco didn't have anything about that in his uh, uh in, microphone in his microphone yeah, it's, it's, assumed. <laughs> it's, it's assumed uh, i'll be podcasting from my closet it'll be okay so so here we go uh Outbreak invest. This is from FDA. Outbreak investigation of Salmonella Duisburg, Jules Cashewbury, April 2021. Uh, um, the FDA, along with CDC and state and local partners, are investigating a multi-state outbreak of Salmonella Duisburg infections l- linked to the consumption of Jules Cashewbury, a vegan or plant-based cheese alternative. The firm, Jules Food of Carlsbad, California, is conducting a voluntary recall. Great. Um, uh, CDC identified the outbreak of five illnesses. It's a rare salmonella serotype. Uh, they use whole genome sequencing. Of the five people interviewed, three reported eating this cashew brie. It's the only common product identified um, based on the, the – oh, sorry. There was a sampling that was uh, con- uh, conducted the um, uh, at various retail locations. Um, preliminary results indicate that the cashew brie products collected and analyzed in California may have been contaminated with salmonella. Additional analysis confirmed the presence of salmonella. And right now we're ongoing the type or, you know, there's more information coming forward about the type. Uh, but based on these preliminary results, uh, there was a recall. Uh, so, um, FDA recommends that anyone who received or suspects having received Jules brand products use extra vigilance in cleaning and sanitizing any surfaces or containers that may have con- come in contact with the products to reduce the risk of cross-contamination. This includes cutting boards, slicers, countertops, refrigerators, and storage bins. It's a good message. Like FDA, ABC, CDC, FDA+. 
This, I'm, I'm going to give them a, like an A for this. Cause we, I don't think we often see, and I know we, we were just coming back to that bit and I threw it in here. We don't often see like, Hey, you should worry about cross contamination with this product. I don't know how realistic that is, but that's, it's kind of n- new for me to see this in a outbreak investigation. Um, and it is a control measure that, you know, uh, potentially will reduce, will reduce risk. The reason why I wanted to ask you about this is I, on Friday have to give a talk, record a talk for the food safety summit on, um, plant based products like the, not like plant based products, like cut melons, but like cashew brie, impossible burger, those types of foods and, and food safety risks. And this isn't the only like, we, we've seen cashew cheese now in a couple of different recalls and, and outbreaks. Um, we, we haven't seen anything with uh, plant-based meats that I'm aware of, but I, I wanted to get your, like what I'm going to talk about is this kind of thing. And that just because it's plant-based doesn't mean that it's pathogen free and the perception of that within the consumer and retail settings. So that's my, like, that's what I want to, that's what I'm going to talk about. What else should I talk about in this, in this 20 minute talk on Friday as it relates to Cashew Brie? Yeah. So let me, let me share that at one point I got a phone call, um, from let's call him deep fed, Mm -hmm. um, who may or may not be employed by a certain regulatory agency any longer. And he said to me, hey, Don, you are the extension specialist for food safety in New Jersey, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, right. And he's Mm -hmm. like, we have a person we'd like you to talk to. (laughs) And this was a person that was basically um, making like a cashew cheese. And I went and and she was making a bunch of other products as well. And we might have even talked about it on the podcast. Um, And so uh, basically what she would do is she would take some things like cashews and she would chop them up and she would go on to a retailer website like Amazon. She would buy some probiotics and she would sprinkle those probiotics uh, onto her cashew, chopped up cashews, because she knew enough that when you make cheese, you have to use, you know, microorganisms and she wanted some good, healthy probiotic ones, and then she would incubate them, and then she would sell them, and and it was doing. She was doing quite a good, quite a good business. Um, these were not heat processed because this was a person who had, who was like into raw foods, and uh, yeah, and so I convinced her to stop making those. <laughs> she was making them in a church kitchen, mm-hmm. um, and so she was also making like a dehydrated. Uh, vegetables, right? That again, there's, and that we, there's definitions for what constitutes raw food. And so if you dry these vegetables at a temperature that's less than the raw food temperature, right, whatever that is, um, you know, and, and add salt and whatnot, it makes a tasty kale. I think she was drying a tasty snack. It's like, okay, well maybe focus on the kale because at least with the kale, you're not amplifying the risk. Whereas with cashews, you might be amplifying the risk. And so it doesn't surprise me um, there's a lot of these kind of products out there. This person added this to her business because she saw that, oh, you know, there's other companies out there in nearby states that are selling something similar. And so uh, I think if I was giving this talk, I would talk about the fact that I don't know about, about this particular product, but many of these businesses are small businesses. They don't have technical expertise. They don't really know exactly what they're doing. And and they are just basically looking for trouble. So, um, yeah, so that was that was my, my story. I, again, I talked this person out of like, you know, sort of not not 
uh, uh, line extension, but line contraction, right? Like, why don't you, why don't you focus on making fewer things that are less risky? And, and she was very receptive to that. So, yeah. Yeah, this is, it, it's an interesting one. Um, the, you mentioned the sort of probiotic. I, I just found a, um, mm-hmm. an, a, a recipe that we'll link to in, in show notes that, you know, here's, here's the process for making uh, easy probiotic cultured vegan cheese. Get some, get some cashews, um, soak them, blend them, make them creamy, uh, open up a probiotic capsule, drop it in there, let it sit on your counter for 24 to 72 hours. Uh, and, uh, and then you got the tangy, tangy little cashew cheese. Um, the, the thing that I find really interesting about the probiotic or if someone's going to use like some, some starter culture for this and make it in a, in a retail setting, we, we, we like, cause you can find, and again, this comes back to our Amazon stuff. Like you can find lots of online retailers that'll sell you starter culture things to make fermented foods. Um, we, we worked with a business, um, here in North Carolina that was, uh, seeking to, to make, uh, like a fermented kefir yogurt, you know, product in their, in their restaurant. Um, and went down this line of, okay, well, where are you getting your, like starter culture from and, and what kind of like, do they have a like certificate of analysis? Like, do we know that it's pathogen, like that they're, that someone's doing something for pathogens. And so the, um, like, um, we, we ended up calling up the supplier and be like, what do what do you guys know about this? And the, and the person who who was selling this is like, well, what are you using this for? Like, well, making, um, you know, a, a ready to eat, uh, a yogurt fermented milk product that is going to get sold in a, in a, in a restaurant. They're like, yeah, don't we, we're not going to give you any sort of certificate that it's pathogen free. Like, you know, you can't, that's not what this is intended for. <laughs> like, so, so like even on, once you get into the supplier side of things, like where there could be contamination introduced there, it's like a whole wild west of, of how people are, are, are purchasing and selling probiotics. And if it's on the market, at, you know, as a probiotic that's that's regulated as something that people should be taking, I think that's different than if it's a uh, if it's a starter culture for a fermentation that like not only is going to go into food, but may not be like might be made for something that's going to have a heat treatment afterwards, or it's going to be dried afterwards. It's it's totally different, and so that's what I'm worried about in in these like um, plant based. Uh, you know, cheeses and, and whipped up hummus dips and, and stuff like that. It's, it's a, it, you know, people being really, really creative and finding things to, to do, but not thinking about where it's coming from and, and whether there's like any assurance of, of, you know, pathogen testing. Yeah. Well, and, and like, which probiotic are you going to use and does it even grow in the product? Yep. Right. Like, because you, you are basically incubating this, right? Yeah. And so, Whatever is going to be likely to grow is going to grow, but but what what are the background levels of microflora? Um, what are the levels of the probiotic you're going to add? And like I said, is this even a probiotic that will grow in this matrix? You, and, and you haven't done any work. You haven't done any microbiology to even have a sense whether this is even doing what it's supposed to be doing. Right. So. Right. Well, and and we you know see previous episodes when we talked about nuts as well, right? Um, 
you're you're incubating not only what's in the probiotic, but what might be associated with that nut. And you may have this low level of salmonella that's there, but all of a sudden you're sitting this and um, th- this concoction 72 hours at room temperature with you. Know, you've added a bunch of you've added a bunch of water. Um, or you at least increase the water activity. You've got a probably a pretty low pH. You know, I'm looking at this this exact one that um, that I sent you. Two cups of raw cashews, tablespoon of uh, garlic cloves, two tablespoons of lemon juice. Okay, then there's some nutritional yeast, sea salt, a half a cup of water, and two probiotic capsules. I don't think that that's enough lemon juice to drop the pH of this enough that if there was some salmonella there that it's not going to grow and become more of a problem over the 72 hours that you're fermenting it if well, it was and the there pro- and the probiotic capsules are not even identified no just whatever you want so we we'll just go to the store and get some which is you know that's not the way we do microbiology <laughs> no no not right well it's not, i mean it's not the way you and i do microbiology I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it might, it might be right. the way that cashew cheese uh easy Makers, probiotic yeah. cultured vegan cheese in the minimalist baker does it uh, so, so anyway, I'm going to talk about that kind of stuff. Cause I think this mm-hmm. is a really interesting like area that, that is growing. What, uh, is there, what else, is there anything else I should talk about? Like that you would think, think about, you know, I think about the plant-based meats. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, our, we haven't mentioned these two names or I haven't mentioned these two names on the podcast for a while, but I'll be sharing the stage with, uh, John Lachansky and Anna Portafet. Uh, thank you. Uh, and, and they, they've actually conducted some work on pathogens in plant-based burgers. And, mm-hmm. um, so, but w- one, you know, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the challenge here is that it looks like a burger and maybe it needs to be treated like a burger, but there's a perception that it's plant-based and, and you basically just need to warm it up, uh, in, in some food settings right? and, and by some consumers. So it's, it's a kind of this like child, cause, cause if I chop up a bunch of things in my veggie burger and I make it at home, well, it's just a bunch of vegetables that I've chopped up, but, but here there, you know, do we, do we need the heat for pathogen control? Uh, and what's the likelihood that a pathogen is in the, in the, product and you know in the first place so i'm going to talk through some of that yeah and i've been i've been working with one of these plant-based meat startup companies and to help them basically set micro specs for their raw material and they had a supplier that was giving them product that had high counts and it's like well well they're they're not pathogens but they're high counts and and that's not always been the case so maybe we ought to investigate how they're actually making this how they're handling it what are the other ingredients let's you know let's see if we can figure and certainly yes the spec should say pathogen free but but the, also we should figure out why these high counts are coming in because that just means that there's something different about the process, which, again, you can use total plate count as an indicator or, you know, the, of the possibility that in the future there might be there might be pathogens. So, mm. yeah, figuring all that out is important as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So it's, uh, there's my yeah. 20 minutes. I'm going to fill that up. So I want to I want to just briefly mention a and this is not in the Dropbox, but it says uh, good afternoon. Uh, and it was and it's it might have been to multiple people because uh, my name is not mentioned, you know, just a journalist out there trolling um, and not in a negative way. Good afternoon. I'm a journalist from Outlet X. I noticed there seems to be an unusually large number of salmonella reports on the CDC's website. I have attached a screenshot of the relevant sections below. I'm not sure if this means anything, and I'm wondering if you could elucidate either on or off background are both fine. And he sent a screen cap of cashew brie salmonella, ground turkey salmonella, wild songbird salmonella, small turtle salmonella, and then queso fresco listeria and coronavirus. But but basically those those four um, salmonella 
uh, outbreaks. And so uh, what I'll tell you what I said in just a minute. But what what do you think if you were presented by that with a with that information from a reporter? Um, I I. So my my standard response to this is I'm going to pull up the dashboard, Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's a really good um, national outbreak reporting system that CDC has that mm-hmm. I that I send back and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, when we look at the CDC website, you know, first first of all, these are selected outbreaks that that are multi-state that are. Uh, that that will need to we CDC would like to garner some attention for these mainly because there might be other cases out there and this helps. But to give the full scale of how many outbreaks happen all the time, what we would expect, check out the NORS um, uh, um, da- dashboard, the National Outbreak Reporting System, and then start to um, to fiddle around with it and look specifically at salmonella um, in, in past years. So you can do that, right? So um, I can look at, uh, you know, let's let's look at etiology, um, go, I think I can just pick all salmonella here. Um, yep, pick all salmonella. And it will show me that um, in the, from 2018, to, or 2009 to 2018, there were over 2,269 outbreaks uh, with 4,800 or 48,000 illnesses linked to salmonella. So four in the last couple of years of selected outbreaks doesn't really matter um, here to me uh, because there's a lot of outbreaks of salmonella all the time. <laughs> yep. And then this is great. We will link to this dashboard. And then the dashboard also has outbreaks per month, yep. right? And so it's May. So we're getting into outbreak month, right? Yep. For yep. Our, uh, peak outbreak, which is, you know, July, but but uh, pretty big in June and August and also not, you know, not, not small in May and September. So yeah, this is a great website. I should, I know, I knew this was out there, but I didn't, uh, didn't, I doesn't, it's not on my immediate, immediate go-to, oh, look at this site. And you can, yeah, we can, we can filter just for foodborne, yep. right? Or we can look at all of them. It, uh, very, very cool. I love cool. it. And it, it does look like foodborne is trending up, but, but again, it's a, it's a gradual trend. Right, right, right. And, and so you can unclick all your foodborne animal contact. If you just looked at, you know, one, one thing, especially, um, I would look for here in, you know, specifically salmonella. I would just say, okay, unclick everything except for foodborne. And you want to get a sense of what it looks like in a normal year. Let's look at 2017, 2018 as your custom range. And you'll see that there's 304 salmonella outbreaks. And gosh, mm-hmm. you know, a much better story would be, let's ask Texas why you had 49 outbreaks of salmonella in 2017. Not, oh my gosh, what's happening in uh you know, in, in, uh, right across the, the, the U S with these four outbreaks and the salmonella becoming more of a problem. It's like, no, it's, it's always a problem. And I'm not, well, yeah. Well, and, and probably what Texas may have more outbreaks because they've hired more epidemiologists, yep. right? I mean, this is the, the more, famous plot that I always think about that Art Liang showed was a direct linear correlation. The number of outbreaks is linearly correlated with the number of epidemiologists. And so if you want to, if you want to take the number of outbreaks as low as possible, fire all your epidemiologists. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. And have less people around, right? Less, less right. people, less outbreaks, less consumption, right? Uh, so if you don't want salmonella, go to Montana. Right. <laughs> Only four outbreaks in 2017. <laughs> also might be that they don't have a lot of epidemiologists, not a lot of people. Uh, yep. all, all this. Yeah. So, but th- th- I mean, that's really what I, what I like to share is to just put it into perspective. Cause I think that, con- you know, the, the, the most, common question is, oh my gosh, 
are you concerned that salmonella that we've had four salmonella outbreaks in the last you know 18 months mm-hmm. salmonella is a thing like we haven't heard about salmonella it's like well let's put this into context here here's yeah. what it all looks like uh, sort of all the time yeah and your, your answer is much better than mine what i said was <laughs> i don't think there's anything unusual going on this is just random ebbs and flow over time uh, some of it may be increased increased attention as public health people are finally able to focus on something other than COVID-19. Um, and then my other point was all of the, the outbreaks you mentioned, they're different strains of salmonella. So it's not like there's some new super strain that is sweeping the country. So, so that, well, was, hey, that seemed to satisfy answer. them and they did not respond back to that. So yeah, yeah, no, that's, but that's, your answer is better. Yeah. Yours, it's just different. That's why we do this podcast. If it was both of us giving the same answers, our podcast, we would just be able to do it on our own. <laughs> Both of these. So, <laughs> so, so I want, I want to say, um, maybe for a future episode of our other show, um, wild songbirds are risky or not, but that's, we'll save that for the other <laughs> yes, show. Yes. We will save that for the other show. And we're also adding in, uh, Bill, Bill Marler's, uh, grilling technique, risky or not risky or not. Yep. <laughs> oh, perfect. He'll love, he'll love that. Um, uh, yeah, I have uh, just as a, a reminder, I have a heart out here. Heart out. Yeah, yep. in in a few minutes. Um, so, so I just want to say one non food safety related thing, um, and that is uh, Ambassadors, the TV series uh, with um, uh, I want to say friend of the show, uh, no, a person whom I'm a fan of, uh, David Mitchell. Yes. Also with Robert Webb, it is a small investment of time. There are only three episodes. Uh, David Mitchell is an ambassador to a fictional uh, country called Tazbekistan, and it is delightful. And and where would where would one find uh, this? Did it did it fall off a Plex truck? Uh, no, I don't. I don't really have a. I mean, I've got friends who have leaky Plex trucks, but I I probably watched it on one of the many. British channels that okay. I pay for. I will. I will check. I will so check I this know. out. I don't know where. It, uh, I don't know where you can watch it. Um, I apologize. That's all right. I, I will. I'm gonna. Uh, this, this is. I'm looking for this. I like these two. They're very funny. Um, we do. Did we talk about? Did, did you watch Peep Show at all? The, no. So I don't think. I don't think Kristen would like it. Danny did not like Peep Show. It, but but these two are both in Peep Show and they're very funny. And David Mitchell is great. Uh, so I will, I'm going to check this out cause this totally looks like it's right up my alley. Oh, prime video. Yeah. yeah. Oh, prime video for ambassadors. Perfect. I have that. Yeah. yeah. That's not a, that's not a leaky plex truck. Uh, cool. All right. I'm going to check out, uh, ambassadors. Um, I, I think that's a show. I think we should, uh, I, I think we should call it, call it a day here. Um, Go. I, we haven't looked in a while uh, about um, you know whether people are rating us on our podcast uh, on the on iTunes. It's a good place if you want to like like and subscribe. Go do it there. Give us feedback. You say mash that bell. That's a thing that they say mash, on YouTube all the time. Mash, mash that, that bell. bell. Mash that button. Mash that bell. Yeah. Uh, I want to. I, I do in real time follow up. Uh, you you mentioned. Um, uh, it, there, there is well, you made you made a joke about bananas uh, last night uh, about there's something that's uh, making the rounds on on uh, Twitter about uh, how green or how brown your banana is, and you said I'm I'm on the Seven Eleven diet because I am. Uh, also, when it comes to to bananas, I'm on the really green diet, so I'm more like a three. But I want to do the real time follow up because uh, someone who I I I'm I, I would say listener to the show. Um, uh, said, uh, oh gosh, where is it? Basically, um, y- y- I-, I am 
I am now not their number one, tied for number one favorite uh, 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 food safety podcast host. I'm number two. Oh, Blue Robot writes, you were tied for first, but now you are my, not, but you are now my second favorite food safety podcast host. So uh, I'm sorry uh, for for that Blue Robot for letting you down. But I'm 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 firmly in the in the two to four range, not the not the Seven Eleven. It's my Seven Eleven diet though. But I wish I was the, uh, you know, the tied. For, I wish I was still tied for first as favorite food safety podcast host. Oh well. Oh well. You you know I can't win them all, and if and if I don't win them all, Don, you I'm happy that you win them. If, if I don't win, uh, <laughs> he didn't say who his number one host was. I mean, it's going to be obvious, right? <laughs> Frank Giannis? Could be Frank. Could be Frank. Uh, all right. That's the show. Um, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Episode done. Um, I feel like we're all like, um, I don't know. Well, I, I, I'm at least getting posts like podcasts posted before we record the next one, which is a good, that's, that's always fine. good. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, okay. So I could do two weeks from today, the 19th. Um, we do have a webinar that day. So it's going to be, yeah, I, I have potentially a university biosafety COVID meeting. Um, it might get canceled, probably will get canceled, but I, I, I need to not schedule something if possible. Okay. Um, I'm teaching classes on the 18th and 20th. I could do, well, what if we did something next week? Would you be open the morning of the 13th? Uh, no. Okay. No, NJAFP. Okay. What if we did um, – I could do the morning of the 14th, which is a Friday. I, I'm free. Okay. Let's do that. Um, I'm free before 1. Let's do 10. Perfect. I like it when things get 
put on um it's always funny have you have you done one of these things where you record a session and and it's it's all recorded right but then the day that it gets dropped this is for like a webinar Mm -hmm. they invite you to the to the live drop of it but i yeah but i don't i don't don't i don't need to i don't need to be there because i was there for the for when i recorded it well unless (laughs) unless they're going to do questions right i i don't think they are um and and if and if they were, it wasn't clear, right? Right. Because I also have a Food Covey Net webinar at the exact same time. Yeah. So so yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, they should have. If they wanted you there for questions, they should have asked. They should have asked. Exactly. Should have asked. Should have asked. Um, so anyway. Uh, okay. We're all we're good to go. I will. Uh, I'll edit this. I think we're and we're set for next uh, next Friday at 10 a.m. and then I think we're doing risky or not next Tuesday at 10. If that is still perfect. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.